Okay, we're in the book of Philippians, so if you brought your Bibles, turn to the book of Philippians. We're in chapter 1. We've done two weeks, and we'll finish chapter 1 tonight uh, in our, in our uh, teaching time. Uh, one of the things to remind you, uh, the, the community of Philippi had great memories for, uh, for Paul. But I, I again, want to remind you that, that the revival that God brought to the community of Philippi and the church there and establishing the church there began with a term in jail. And uh, Paul, was, Paul and Silas, you'll remember the story in the book of Acts, Paul and Silas were thrown into jail for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And not only were they thrown into jail, the Bible, the Bible actually says they were beaten with rods and then they were chained in the lowest part of, of the prison, simply for preaching the gospel. Kind of incredible from our Western perspective. Yet, again, I want to remind you that, that we do have brothers and sisters around the world that face those kind of things every day. It means something for them to say, I'm a follower of Christ. And it certainly can cost them something to say that they're a follower of Christ. That's why we who are in relative comfort need to never forget those who are facing tribulations because of the faith that we share with them. It's a common faith that we share. Um, but anyways, Paul and Silas were put into the lowest parts of the prison. And the scripture says in the book of Acts that along about midnight... You remember what they were doing? It always incredible me. I know what I would probably be doing. I'd probably been down there moaning. Why me? God, I thought I was, I was your follower. Why did you let me get beat? Why did why this happen to me? But the scripture said that Paul and Silas were down there in the depths of the, of the prison singing hymns and praises to God. That's, that's incredible to me. And then what does God do? God acts in their life. He, throw, he drops their chains. He opens the, the, the gate. And, so, and it's so overwhelming that, remember, the Philippian jailer was, was drawing his own sword to take his own life because he knew that if these prisoners escaped, he became responsible for them. And Paul stops him from doing that. That leads to Paul being able to share with the jailer about the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. The jailer takes him home, him and Silas home, mends him. He shares with his whole family. And the scripture says his whole family came to faith. And then you have a, you have a revival that starts after that in the community of Philippi, and you have the establishment, ultimately, of the church of Philippi, to whom Paul has addressed this letter. He has great affection for, for this community. But along with that affection, he has a heart that is concerned for them to make sure that they keep that which is important primary in their walk, that they keep their eyes upon Jesus Christ, that they, that they serve him in humility, that they serve him according to the leadership of the Holy Spirit, that they stay true to the teachings, as he, as he speaks to almost every one of the churches that he writes to, stay true to the teachings that they had received and the gospel which, which God had called them to unto salvation. So Paul begins this letter, as we talked about a, a couple of weeks ago, with an expression of great affection for the church. And, and in, as he continues in, the, in this first chapter, and we move to verse 19 through verse 30 for our purposes tonight, he, he makes a statement that, that is, should be very familiar to you, and we'll read that and you'll see it. But it, it really is an attitude, an attitude uh, for a follower of Jesus Christ. And it, for me, it's an attitude check. Do I have this attitude? Do I have anything similar to this attitude? Uh, has God changed my heart to the place where, where this is true about me? And I could say to you, some days, yes, and other days, not so much. Uh, uh, so let's read what he says here. Starting with verse 19, he says, For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Now remember that Paul was writing to the church at Philippi. He was writing to the church at Philippi 
from his prison in Rome. So, he is... He has already expressed, we talked about this last week, he's already expressed that he's in bondage and he, and he appreciates their prayers and he, and he makes this statement, I, I know that your prayers will lead to the place where, where uh, for my deliverance. Anybody know how, how Paul was delivered from Rome? And by the way, he was delivered from Rome. Beheaded. They took his head. Okay, the Romans took his head because he was a Roman citizen. They didn't crucify him like, like they did Peter in Rome. Because Peter was a Jew, and they and they would crucify Jews, but they did not crucify Roman citizens. They took their head very quickly. Okay, say, so oh well, that's not deliverance. Oh yes, it is. Let's read on. According to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life, what's the next phrase, or by death. Christ will be glorified in me, whether by life or death. If it's God's way, uh, will for me to live, he's going to glorify himself. If it's God's will for, for me to leave this earth, he'll be glorified in that also. What an attitude. And then we come to that passage uh, that I know most of you are familiar with. It says this, for to me, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean that mean fruit from my labor, yet what I shall choose I cannot tell. For I am hard-pressed between the two, having the desire to part and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you, you all, for your progress and the joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you, but to you of salvation and that from God. For to you... It has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here is in me. Let's look at what the apostle has to say here. He begins with the assurance to these people, this church that he loved, that their prayers are powerful. Why? When we talk about prayers, I want to, I want to share something with you. Prayers do not contain power. Now, be careful, because I think some people teach that. Your prayers contain power. To say that prayers themselves contain power is, is liking them to witchcraft, that your words have some sort of power within them. The power in prayer is to whom it is addressed. So when we pray, the power is not in prayer. The power is in the Lord to whom we pray. Everybody got that? So, so if you think about that that prayer in and of itself, you could, you could almost say it's kind of a neutral, benign thing. It's like faith. You can have faith in all kinds of things. Biblical faith is in Christ alone. You can pray to all kinds of things. And the prayer itself does not make things happen. It's the one to whom we pray that has the power to make things happen. Because you know there are people that pray to all kinds of things. I saw a video one time where they were sitting in this forest praying to the trees. 
They prayed to the rocks, they prayed to the trees, they prayed to the leaves, and they asked our forgiveness, or they asked for forgiveness for how we had treated the trees and stuff. I don't think the trees answered them that day. They don't have the power to do that. Prayer can be used in so many ways, but biblical prayer is always addressed to God. And I would say this, that biblical prayer, in the fullness of the maturity of what biblical prayer ought to be, is always led by the Holy Spirit of God. That's where he's always moving us, to where our prayers are under the control, like everything else in our life is under the control of the Holy Spirit of God. And the power in those prayers is found in the promise of the one who, who answers those prayers. They're found in God himself. So, so Paul knows these people. He knows because he led them to a place of their relationship with God. He continues to hear good things about them. And he's excited that they're praying for him. And they, he knows that because they are followers of Christ and they have put their faith in God through Jesus Christ, that when they pray, the Father's hearing their prayer. That's a promise we always have. In Christ Jesus, the Father always hears our prayers. So Paul is confident as he begins this portion of the, of the letter. He's confident of, that of his deliverance, that God... And here, here's what that means for us, deliverance as a Christian. That God is going to fulfill everything in Paul that God has promised for Paul. Now, I kind of like that description of deliverance for, for ourselves. That God has promised that he's going he's to he's provide everything for us that he has promised for us. And your path may end up different than my path. We may leave this world in different ways. And we, look again, look around the world at others that, that are. Uh, God is in control. God always takes care of his own. Now, from a human perspective, we might have questions about that. We actually might even have doubts about that. Why did God let this happen? Why did he let this happen to this person? So, but look at Paul's attitude when it comes to this. He said, he said it, verse 20, he says, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed. As he, God has given him life, he wants to walk in, in the rightness of the relationship that he has with God in Christ Jesus, led by the Holy Spirit. So that when everything's said and done, he's not ashamed. He's not ashamed of who he is, and he's not ashamed of the walk that, that he walked. He goes on to say, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. His goal, his thought, his hope is that whether God chooses for him to live Another 20 years, another 50 years, another two years, another two seconds. That whether he's alive or whether he physically perishes, that God will be glorified in, in, in Paul's life. We exist, and I want you to think about this, we exist to glorify God. What does that mean to you? Some people think, well, it means worship or it means praise. Well, actually glorify, literally translated, means to make known. To make known. That's what Paul was trying to say here. He wanted God to be magnified. He wanted God to be glorified in, his, in the fact that Paul was a follower of Jesus Christ. And whether he lived or died, he wanted God to be made known. And when you add the word magnified, it, it, it lifts it up. Okay? It, it, it lifts up what, the one that you're trying to, to glorify when you talk about being magnified in my life. And we, we, we have, I think we have a song like that, being magnified in me or something like that. It talks about that God would be big in us. God would be everything. And, and who he is would be evident. Now, we can't make God bigger. He is fully who he is all the time. But we certainly can respond to God in, in our relationship with, relationship with him as if he is bigger in us. 
God doesn't grow. God is who he is. We ought to be growing. We ought to be expanding. We ought to be, I, may, I might want to put it this way. Hopefully, there's more Jesus seen in you today than there was seen in you last year at this time. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's not a matter of God expanding or God growing. It's a matter of us growing and us expanding in our faith. And that's what our walk should always look like. We should always be on the path of growing, growing in the Lord. Stagnation is not good for a Christian. Matter of fact, I would say stagnation is not good for anything. Eventually it begins to corrode, decay, and stink. And by the way, that could happen to Christians too. Okay, we ought to be always growing. And Christ ought to be more magnified in us each day than he was the day before. And coming to that, that point where Paul says this, for to me. And notice how he says it, for to me. He's making a, a statement of his personal testimony right now. For to me, here's where I am, the Apostle Paul, to live as Christ. That is, if God gives me another breath, I get to share Christ. I get to talk about Christ. I get to minister in people's lives the message of Christ and the reality of Christ. So for me to live is Christ, but also for me, because the for me goes to both these statements, for me to die is gain. Paul was ready. You ever had those days when you're ready? You sit there and say, Lord, I'm ready. You can come anytime you want. Probably have some of those days you wish today was the day. And then, then God will remind you some of the things we're going to talk about here in a minute. That I want you to see the heart of the apostle here. Though he would say, for me to die is great gain. For me to die would be a wonderful thing. For me to leave this world and go in the presence of Jesus would be the greatest thing. And by the way, we're all heading that way if we, if we have faith in God, don't, aren't we? That is really where our home is. That's where our de- all the songs we sang tonight spoke of the, that reality, that that really is where our home is and what, what God has prepared for us. And that's what Paul's saying. But he also says, for me to live as Christ. And now he goes on to the second part of what we read here. And, and he's saying, you know what? Basically, it's this thought. If one more pe- person is touched by Jesus Christ because I remain here on this earth, I'm willing to remain here on this earth. He's willing to say, I, I, I would put off heaven. Now think about that statement and that heart. I'm willing to put off heaven if it means that one more person could come to faith in Jesus Christ. So, getting back to you and I and our walk. There are days we want to say, Lord, I wish today was today. But in the back of my mind, when I make those kind of statements or even thinking those, those kind of things, I'm thinking, but... I know so-and-so who doesn't know you yet. And I have a family member over here who has no faith in Jesus yet. And you go right on down the line of those people who have yet to come to faith. And, and are we willing to say, you know, Lord, though I, I want to be with you, what's very important to me now is that if you want to use me in the life of someone who does not know you yet, I'm willing. And I'm willing to be used of you however you want to do that. And I'm willing to be used up of you. If that's what you want to do. I think that's Paul's thing. Paul said, Paul was really saying, Lord, I am completely and totally available to you. If it means death, I'm available. If it means life, I am totally available to you in life. Now, sometime, <coughs> excuse me, sometime the reality is it's actually harder to live for Christ than to die for Christ. We don't really have any part in the death part. But sometimes it's hard to live for Christ. 
the daily drudgery of, of dealing with life, the, the conflict, the, the opposition. He's going to talk about opposition here in, in just a little bit. But we could, we could have that thought of, it'd be easier for me just to leave here and be with, with, with the Lord. But at the same time, hopefully that God has put upon your heart and my heart that there are people here that he might still use us to touch, to minister to. And that's what Paul says here. He said, he said verse 22, but if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit for my labor. Yet I shall choose, what should I choose? I, I cannot tell. For I am hard pressed between the two, having a desire to depart to be with Christ, which is far better for who? Well, for him. Okay? Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. Now, that is outward looking. And by, by the way, I, I think that's the essence of, of, of New Testament Christianity. What is not a part of New Testament Christianity is always looking out for self. The Bible says that we are to esteem others more highly than we esteem ourselves. The Bible tells, tells us that we are to love others as we love ourselves. We, we are called to put others before ourselves. We're to be concerned about other people's needs even more than we are to be concerned about our needs. And particularly if we claim to be mature Christians, then hopefully as mature Christians we know that God, the Lord, has never failed us He's never failed to provide for us. You think he's going to start that tomorrow? Well, of course not. But there are new Christians or those who have yet to come in the faith that do not know that yet. They haven't experienced that or they haven't grown to the place in their walk where they actually know that, that God, God fulfills his promises. God set, does what he says he will do and God provides and he is our provision in every area of life. So Paul says, you know what? Personally, it would be better for me to be able to leave right now and go to heaven. But the reality is, there are still so many that need to hear the gospel. And there are so many that need to be reached. And there are so many that need to be encouraged and discipled. And all those aspects of what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. He said, so, he has this conflict going on. I, I just love the Apostle Paul because how... How honest is he all throughout his writings? I remember in Romans when he talked about another conflict that he had going on, the conflict between his his own flesh and his spirit, and he says, I, "These two are battling within me." And he says, I, "I find myself doing the things I know I shouldn't do, and the things I know I should do, I'm not doing those things." There's this, this battle going on. That's pretty that's pretty straightforward and and and, and self debasing. I mean, he was he was being honest with people that struggle, and we know that struggle. And I'm glad he was honest about that. Where, where we realize that Paul and everybody else that's gone before us, folks, is on the same journey that we're on right now. And everything that was promised to them and supplied to them through the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit is also promised to us. That's why Paul could say near the end of his ministry, he said, he said imitate me. Now, he wasn't, he wasn't putting himself up on a pedestal saying he has it all together. He said, as you've seen me walk... In Christ Jesus, so also you walk in Christ Jesus. As you've seen me submitted to the Holy Spirit, so you also be submitted to the Holy Spirit. Give your life over to Christ where you can actually say, for me to live as Christ, to die as gain. And inside of me, there's something that really wants to go to heaven because that would be so much better for me. I wouldn't have to suffer anymore, be hungry anymore, be cold anymore, be put upon anymore, uh, beat anymore. All of these things that, that he would face. But he says, you know what? Because there are still those around that need to hear Jesus. I'm willing to stay. I'm willing to face these things. 
because he cared about his brothers and sisters in Christ more than he cared about his own comfort and even escaping all the things he would have to face. Now, if you don't believe this about the Apostle Paul, I'm sure many of you have studied the book of Romans. And if you've been with me on Wednesday night, I know you studied the book of Romans. And there's a statement in the book of Romans which just kind of blows me away. He talks about his brothers and sisters, Jews, Israelites. And he makes this incredible statement. If I could be cut off, that they might come to salvation, I'd be willing to do that. Do you understand what a huge statement that is that he made right there? He was saying, I would miss heaven if it meant that they could come. Now, that's a heart for God. You say, some people say, well, he knew he couldn't. That's not possible, so he just said it. Well, you know, you can be a cynic like that if you want. But the evidence is that, that all, all throughout his ministry, he, he put others before himself. He truly was... He was truly transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit where other people became more important to the Apostle Paul than his own comfort, than his own needs. I mean, there are times when he wrote churches and he said stuff like, you know what, I didn't ask you for anything. I didn't ask you for anything. We came freely and freely we gave you the gospel and we did not ask you for anything. There are times when he's calling for help for others who had need, but he never called for help for himself. He was concerned about other people. You remember when he was about to go to Jerusalem because he felt led to go to Jerusalem? And how many people, how many people come up to Apostle Paul and said on his last trip to Jerusalem, said, don't go down there. Don't you go down there because they're waiting on you. And if you go down there, they're going to capture you and they're going to kill you. Well, he went down there and he says, I have to go. That's where God had called him. I always find it interesting how we view God's call in our life. And many times we Western Christians view God's call in our life on the basis of how comfortable for it is for us, how easy it is for us, how accepted we will be. And yet you, see, you find the Apostle Paul everywhere he went, he was rejected, yet he had to go where the Holy Spirit called him. Had to call to Macedonia. You remember that? The man calling him in the vision over to Macedonia. He felt led to go to Jerusalem. And even when his brothers and sisters, because, listen, it's because they loved him, said, Paul, don't go down there. We know what's waiting for you. That he says, I have to go where the Spirit leads me to go. You'll go to jail. If that's what the, if that's what the Lord wants, that's what, that's what I'll do. But you remember, he went down. They took him to jail. But what a marvelous journey from Jerusalem to Rome. What an incredible journey. Look at who he got to testify to on that journey and how God used him on that journey. And, and, and even in a shipwreck that was a part of that, God uses him to reach, reach an unreached people. I don't know that we view life that way. I don't know that yet we view life as, as, as an opportunity to be used of God. My approach, because I'm like so many Western Christians, is I have to make sure I'm okay first, and then whatever's left over from me being okay, then I'm willing to share that with other people. To be so sensitive to the Holy Spirit that when he says, go here, we go, without consideration of the discomfort or the, tr the opposition we might face, or even the cost of doing that. 
and to open ourselves up to people that, that we, on our own part, would never open ourselves up to, that's being sensitive to the Spirit. We keep asking the questions, why don't we sense the work of the Holy Spirit the way that we read here in the Scripture? You know, I think that, to me, that, that at least in my life, and, and being a pastor for 35 years, the, the answer is obvious. We don't want to hear from the Holy Spirit. We don't. Nobody wants to walk the path Paul walked, or Peter, or James, or John. What did Jesus say about those who would be his followers? Here's what he said. In this world you will have trials and tribulation. He said, you are not greater than the teacher. You are not greater than the master. If they hated me, here's what you can know, they'll hate you. If they rejected me, they will reject you also. We don't want that. Let's be honest. We don't want. There's something within us that we, we hate being rejected, right? Nobody likes to be rejected. Nobody likes to be hated. The answer for me to why we don't see happening so often in the modern day church, what we saw, what we see in the first century church, is because we're not listening to the Holy Spirit. We're not being responsive to the Holy Spirit. We're not even asking Him. What he would have to do for us. We just, we just go on. It's almost like rote Christianity. We just go on with what we always do. Instead of beginning the day really saying, Holy Spirit, I, I, I acknowledge your presence in my life. Holy Spirit, I desire for you to lead me. Holy Spirit, I, I ask you to give me the faith that wherever you take me today, where, that, 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 that I would follow you to that place and I would trust you completely, no matter what it costs me to go there. Paul was willing to suffer all kinds of things, to continue with the, with the opposition, to continue with those who scorned him, to continue with the beatings, the stonings, the being thrown in prison, if it meant, if it meant the possibility of someone else knowing Christ or growing in Christ. If you think about it, that really is our, the twofold ministry of the church, is it not? That people might know Christ and that people might grow in Christ. That's what God has called us to, to be a part of those two things. So, so Paul speaks his heart here. He thanks him for the prayers. He puts his trust in Jesus, whether he's alive or whether he, whether he dies. And then he says, you know what? This conflict I have, there's something within me that wants to be with the Lord, but there's something in me that knows also that for me to re- remain, if it's God's plan, that many more people might be touched. But what if it is not God's plan? For Paul to stay. And we, again, history tells us that he did not stay much, much after this time. What if it's not God's plan for him to be able to return to Philippi? Well, in the last part of this first chapter, he talks about that. That's what he said. He, 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 he encourages them. I like how the, the, he does. He encourages them as if it's the last time they'll hear from him. What's he say? Only let your conduct, verse 27, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you, or I am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Once again, the heart, and this kind of repeats what he said earlier in chapter 1, the heart of the apostle for the church at Philippi, and I would say the church everywhere. What's the call that he gives him? Gives them here. He says, first of all, that they would walk worthy of the gospel. Have you ever thought about that? How do you walk worthy of the gospel? 
Well, you just try harder to be like Jesus, right? Anybody says, yes, we're going to talk for a while. No. God does not ask us to live the Christian life in our own strength because it is an impossibility for us to do so. The Christian life is not lived in human strength. The Christian life is lived in the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit of God. And you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be witnesses of me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the world. Christian life is a call to surrender. It is only in surrendering to the Holy Spirit that we can possibly walk worthy of the gospel of Christ. Because when we walk in the, in the, under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, what we will always reflect is Jesus. Or who we will always reflect will be Jesus. And we'll reflect the gospel in the way we live and the way we, that we walk. He goes on in the instruction to, to, to say, again, remind him whether I'm here or whether I'm absent. I, I, I know that this can be true of you as you walk as God has called you to walk. And here's what should be true of the church. That you stand fast in one spirit. It was a prayer of Christ before he left this earth that his people would be unified in him. It is the teaching of the New Testament apostles and the scripture that we're reading even here that we would be one in Christ. Unity in Christ is crucial. When the church is divided over whatever issue we're divided over, okay, that brings great harm to the message of the gospel. It gives people a wrong picture. It gives lost people a wrong picture of what the church is to be about. So he prays and he calls them to a place of unity. He goes on to say that they have one mind. This is not the first time you'll read this in the book of Acts. It talks about that they had one mind. Okay, What is the one mind we should have? Well, according to the Apostle Paul, he says we are to take on the mind of Christ. That does not necessarily mean we all think exactly the same way. I think the world would be a boring place if we all thought the same way. I think the church would be a boring place if we all thought the same way. And I think Paul teaches that, it, that it's not even reasonable that we all think the exact same way. And he speaks in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 of, of the uniqueness that God has made each of us as different parts of the body of Christ. But also in that teaching, he talks about you are uniquely a part of the body of Christ that, that Christ has assigned you by the work of the Holy Spirit within you. But in that uniqueness of who you are, God is making a unity of one. Because he says there, are, there is one body, but there are many members of that body. But there's only one body. And in the book of Ephesians, what does Paul say? There's one body, one faith, one baptism, one Lord over all. Okay, so he, he calls us to, to put Christ central as the, as the church, as the body of Christ. That's where we come to that one mind that he talks about, because the one mind that we need to have is the mind of Christ. Here's what the church ought, ought to always be asking. What does God think about this? What does the Lord say about this? What is the Lord's will about this? How would the Lord have us respond to this? What would the Lord have us do? It should never be the question, what do you all want to do? Because when you say something like that, and you've all been in committee meetings and planning meetings and all these things, what do you all want to do? Well, then you've got another two hours out of that committee meeting right then. Okay? The church ought to be asking, Lord, what do you want? What would you have us do? How would you have us do it? What would you have us be? Who would you have us reach? Lord, it's your church. 
There's only one head to the New Testament church, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. There's nobody else in charge here, or at any biblical New Testament church. The Lord, and we ought to always be seeking the Lord. Now, that God puts leaders in the church is true, but if those leaders are not leading you to Jesus, the leaders are leading you in the wrong way. So that is that, that prayer, that hope for them, that they'll have, be one in mind. And then he says, striving together for the faith of the gospel. He uses terminology here, this third part of what he's called the church to be, to indicate to them that, you know, when you strive for something, that means there could be some opposition, some conflict. It could be a little bit more difficult than, you know, everything just put given to you on a silver platter. To strive for something. Elsewhere we're told to strive in prayer with God. Okay. Uh, and, and now we're, we're told to strive uh, together in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because when you go out in the world and you preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is guaranteed you're going to face opposition. It is guaranteed that most of the world will not get it. And the scripture actually says that the preaching of the cross, which is the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ, is an offense to those who are perishing. You ever wonder why people who don't believe in Jesus, who do not believe in the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, why do they get so mad and offended when you start telling them that, you know, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he died for your sins, he died on a cruel cross, there he, he, he died in your place, they buried him three days later, he rose from the dead. And, they, and, and it's not just a matter of them saying many times, well, I just don't believe that. Sometimes they get mad. Okay. Please understand there's a spiritual battle going on here. It's not just a battle of facts. The facts are important, I understand it. But, but it is a spiritual battle that's taking place. And the enemy of your soul and the enemy of their soul certainly does not want them to receive that truth. And so he, he talks about how he wants the church, whether he's there or ever will return there or not, he wants them to continue to strive together. For the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know by now that there are a lot of different expressions of the Christian faith. Or I'm going to say a lot of different denominations of Christian faith. And I'm talking about orthodox, genuine Christian faith. It's not all found in one denomination or one group. If anybody tells you that, well, never mind. I don't want to talk about those. But it's true. Okay? But the basis, there, there are biblical fundamentals that are true of every genuine biblical church and one of those fundamentals the fundamental of that is is jesus because the bible says that he's the cornerstone he's the sure foundation and everything else is built upon who he is so paul calls them to to continue together striving for the faith of the gospel and then he goes on to explain to them verse 28 and not in any way uh, terrified by your adversaries. Do not be driven by fear. It's not the first time Paul says this. He speaks to the young pastor Timothy. What's he say? God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of love and discipline. Uh, uh, love, what, what? Power, love, and a disciplined mind. Thank you. So, so uh, once again, he's saying to the church here, you do not have to be terrified of your adversaries. Now, Again, here's what you can know. By him making that statement, you can know that you're going to have adversaries. And they're not going to play fair. Okay? They're not going to play fair. 
it, it is amazing to me again the violent reaction to the Apostle Paul from every side because he was sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of hope, the gospel of forgiveness, the gospel of redemption. For that, they beat him. For that, they stoned him. For that, they threw him in prison. It's incredible. But he says, don't fear your adversaries. Elsewhere, we're told, don't fear those who can destroy the body or kill the body, but destroy the one who can kill both the body and soul in eternal hell. We don't walk in fear. You don't walk in fear. You know how not, I mean, how do I put this? You know how not to have any adversaries in your life? Don't stand for anything. Now that's certainly true. That's true in any area of life, but it's certainly true when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It, just go along with everybody. Have you ever met somebody like that? Whoever's speaking is whoever they're for. Can't stand people like that. If you're like that, I can't stand you. I, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but you think about it. There are a lot of people like that. They're, I mean, they're for anything. They're for anything and everything. Which means they are for nothing. They're for nothing. There are, our own national history, certainly church history tells us that there are some truths, there are some things that are worth even dying for. And a lot of it's being lost in, in, in the generation we live in. And, and some of it's been revived, which has been good. But, but you know what? If you expect not to have adversaries when you stand in the gospel of Jesus Christ, your expectations will not last very long. And it doesn't mean you go out looking for opposition. It doesn't mean you go out trying to cause, being the cause or being adversarial yourself. It simply means you walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. But know you will have those who will stand against you. Don't be surprised. Don't be crushed. I did a sermon a few years ago. I don't know if I've even done the sermon here. I, I try not to do that, but I called it eggshell Christianity. Ever heard of something like that? Eggshell Christianity. You know what an eggshell does? It cracks very easily. And there's a lot of Christians that live their life that way. They're cracking all over the place. One little thing and they crack and they fall apart and the yolk just spills out nasty all over the place. We need, we need to get tough. And not tough in ourselves, but tough in the spirit. And know that we're going to have those who stand as adversaries against the very gospel that we preach. But understand, it is a spiritual battle. They're, they're, they're standing against, not against you. They're standing against what you're sharing. They're standing against the Lord himself. And I would ask you this, who can stand against the Lord? There's not anybody in heaven, on earth, or below the earth that can stand against God. And I hope you believe that. So that's why he says, don't, let, don't be terrified by your adversary. Which the fact, now this is interesting how he says this last part, it says, which to them a proof of perdition, but to you salvation from the Lord. And what he's saying here is, is that they are adversarial to the gospel is proof of their perdition or proof of their own destruction. That they are opposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ itself is proof of their own destruction. But that you stand in the gospel of Jesus Christ is proof of your salvation. If the gospel is true. Now how many of you say the gospel is true? I do. 
So if the gospel's true, and we stand in the gospel of Jesus Christ, then the promise of those who stand in the gospel of Jesus Christ is salvation. And the reality, and a sad reality, is that those who are adversarial to the gospel of Jesus Christ, it speaks of their own, that word perdition means destruction. It speaks of their own destruction. And he closes out this thought uh, by saying, For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not, to, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Now, we like the first part of that, but we don't want to add that last little line there. But, you know, when we talk about the grace of God, the mercy of God, here's a wonderful statement of of that true reality. Our salvation is genuinely a gift from God. Do you agree with that? Being a gift, there's no credit on our part that we've received it. Everybody got that? It genuinely is by the grace of God that we are saved. That's what the Bible teaches. Here's a point. If God didn't want you to be saved, you you couldn't be saved. If God did not share his gospel and the faith that you needed to receive him, you could not possibly be saved. That's why it's so scary for people to say, when you share the gospel, say, well, I hear what you guys are saying. I know what you're teaching about end times and all this stuff. And I'll just wait to see if these things pan out. And when they do, then I'll trust in the Lord. Ooh, wait a minute. How do you know on that day that God's going to call you? You don't come to Jesus by intellectual assent. The only way you come to Jesus is by faith. And faith, by definition, is responding to God's initiative. If God doesn't call you, you can't come. If the Holy Spirit does not offer the salvation, uh, the gospel to you, you can't respond. It's an impossibility. I wish we would understand that. And some people say, oh, you're talking about Calvinism or Arminius. I'm not talking about either one of those things. I'm talking about biblical Christianity, which makes it very clear. Unless the Father calls you, unless the Spirit calls you, unless Jesus calls you, you can't possibly come. That's why the Bible says that if he's calling you, today's the day of salvation. Don't ever suppose that the same Holy Spirit who's speaking to your heart now about the gospel will ever speak to your heart again about the gospel. So he he reminds us that, that it has been granted to us, granted to us, on behalf of Christ. Not because we're good enough, because we're worthy, but on behalf of Christ. Not only to believe in him, thank you, Jesus, you, you've called me, you allow me to respond to you, you've given me the faith to respond to you. It's all you. Praise you for that. But can I carry it as far as Paul says? Because he not only has granted me the privilege to believe in him, but look at what Paul says, but also the privilege, if you will, to suffer with him. I believe it's Peter who says, do not be surprised about the various trials and the tribulation, the troubles that are about to come upon you. As if they are something strange or out of the ordinary. He reminds the followers of Christ, the Apostle Peter reminds the followers of Christ, it is the ordinary thing for the, re- for the world to reject the followers of Christ. And I want to tell you what, that's true in Fountain Hills as much as it's true in Saudi Arabia. And I am completely aware that it certainly costs our brothers and sisters in Saudi Arabia a whole lot more to be followers of Christ than it costs me 
to be a follower of Christ in Fountain Hills. But the spirit that's contrary to the spirit of God is the same in both places. And adversaries that work in both places. So don't be surprised that in the streets of Fountain Hills, this wonderful, prosperous place, that there would be those who would, who would stand against you should you dare to share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. But again, Paul says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You've been granted the privilege of knowing Jesus Christ. You've been granted the privilege of being rejected in Jesus Christ also. But you know, there's another side to that. You've also been granted the privilege at times when how wonderful our God is when he would choose to use any of us to share his message to someone and we get to see them come to faith in Jesus Christ. That's a great privilege too, is it not? And it's worth a lot of rejection. It really is. Paul finishes this by saying, having the same conflict where you saw in me and now here is in me. Again, speaking about the reality of the persecution and the suffering that the Apostle Paul was facing and that they too might have to face if they're following Jesus Christ. I can't tell you what it's going to look like for you and for me as we share the gospel and we, and we face the opposition or the adversaries to our faith. I can't tell you what that's going to look like. Okay. But according to the scripture, I can tell you it's going to be there. So don't be surprised. Don't let it change who you are. Don't let it cause you to compromise the message. Walk in the message that God has privileged you to know and to have and called you to share and trust God with the results. Because I hope for you to live as Christ and to die as gain. And if you have that attitude, what can the world do to you? I mean, when you, when you really approach life that way, God, you want to use me today? Good. God, you want to take me home today? Better. I'm going to let the world determine who I am, what I teach, or how I walk. I'm going to let God do that. And when my life is over, he'll call me home. Until that day, he will sustain me, and he will take care of everything he's called me to. He promised he would do those things. That's the message of the apostle. For the church at Philippi, I believe for our church also. For the church of every age. So let's do this. Let's trust God. Let's walk in God. Let's desire to be used as blessings in people's lives with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's not be afraid or intimidated. Let's not be the adversary. Let's not be the one that caused trouble. But let's share the gospel, trust God with the results of that thing, and trust him to take care of us, whatever the adversary might be that comes against us. Okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for this evening. Thank you for the way that you love us, for the call that you've given us. And as we, I pray, Lord, as we read the, the message from the Apostle Paul here to the church at Philippi, Father, that there is some encouragement there for us. It reminds us of how trustworthy and how faithful you are to take care of those who follow you. And Lord, I pray that, that we would desire to hear from your spirit and follow your spirit just the same way Paul. Because I, I believe, Lord, in that place we will see your supernatural power manifested in our lives and in other people's lives around us. So give us that heart. Give us that faith. Help us to follow you as your people. Thank you for loving us and thank you for providing everything we need in your son Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.